You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Christopher Setvors, pricing expert at Verdain. Before we can start talking about the pricing, we need to, to go back and ask ourselves, who are our main customers? What, what's a good customer and what's a poor customer? Welcome to a new and slightly delayed episode of the SAS Nordic Podcast. Although there's a good reason though why it's, why it's delayed. You were just three weeks away from Sassiest and kicking in the gears and there's still some stuff we're working on, Thomas, right? Yeah, absolutely. So just give you a status report here. We are a little bit over 700 attendees at the moment, so it's going to be a, a great crowd. We have eight days left to get your ticket. So if you haven't... FOMO, FOMO. Yeah, yeah definitely. This is definitely a place and an event that you want to participate in. You want to say that you were there the first year when everything started. So definitely. And and other things, um, we are finalizing the agenda. We are now 50 speakers that are uh, cleared for SASIEST and it's going to be five to 10 more, I think, before we are done with the program. So uh, very exciting as well. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, you know, it's 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 a lot to do with uh, all the promotional items, all planning for the venue, all um, surprises that we're going to have for you when you come there. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a to-do list that, uh, that could uh, scare most people, I think, and scare us also in the morning sometimes, but it's great fun. <laughs> yes, it's coming together really well, and we really look forward to, to seeing you all there. Yeah, we're excited to have some really cool keynotes as well. We have Nathan Latka coming from uh, New York, and uh, you might know him from his podcast. He's made over 2,500 episodes, and he's going to make a keynote. Uh, about five ways of getting to $100 million in ARR, and he has a lot of data to back it up for sure. So uh, looking forward to that. And then also one of your idols, Daniel, is coming to uh, the show as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Aaron Ross is, is coming to the show uh, as well, and he will be partaking actively. He, he will actually run two sessions with us. Cool. And everybody knows Aaron Ross from Predictable Revenue, so he will run a keynote session, but there will always also be a good opportunity to interact with him directly because there's a dedicated Q&A session. So I was about to say tune in. Don't tune in. Actually, be there Be there in person. It's a great opportunity to interact with some of the greatest minds in our space. Yeah. And also, you know, we're so happy about the uh, that we have such um, a good span when it comes to Nordic speakers um, also during the two days. And uh, also looking forward to a lot of networking. So you will get access to Brella, a networking app where you can match make and uh, yeah, make the most of the day. So I'm um, looking forward to see you. But okay, it's um, we're still doing the podcast, right? So <laughs> we are, we are. It's podcast time. Podcast time. Yeah. Today we have a real expert on a subject that I know that a lot of you are interested in, namely how you should price your product. So uh, let's go ahead. Today we are very happy to have Christopher Sedfors. He's a commercial excellence director at Verdain, and I think that means that you're a price expert, right? Well, uh, I've been working quite a lot with pricing during the re- years, so uh, yes, you can call me a pricing specialist or pricing nerd or, or whatever. That's super. Uh, and and this is also a fruit from our community partnership with Verdain, where we get access 
to their different experts that will benefit our community here. So we are really looking forward to sort of dive down in your knowledge that companies pay quite a lot of money or equity for to get. So <laughs> really happy about that. It's worth it. It's worth it. Now, I think in just a few moments, we're going to talk about all things pricing strategy. It's a hot potato in our community. But just before we dig into those uh, nitty gritty details here, Christopher, how do you become a pricing expert? Tell us your story. Well, uh, I think it takes a, a lot of uh, a lot of elbow grease and sort of commitment to the topic. Uh, but but uh, yeah, yes and no. Uh, you, you can learn it sort of the hard way, uh, going through uh, sort of different uh, type of industries, working as an industry expert, or you can sort of do it sort of learning it by uh, becoming a consultant in, in one of the sort of established pricing firms. Did you start selling lemonade when you were little? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I do have a, a, have a long career at selling, uh, selling stuff on Blocket and, and growing up doing it on, uh, in, in the classifieds in, in, the, in the paper. Ah, so you're one of those guys that would put up two ads. Both of those were yours, yeah. but ju- just to, to, to mess with people's mind and pricing. You hacked the system. Them. Exactly. So, so you anchor, you, you sort of place one ad which is very similar at a very high price, and then you come in and offer your product at a slightly lower price, even though it's it's wow. it's a bit too high. Yes, there are a lot of tricks in it, tricks in trade. No, but but sort of jokes aside. So, I've been working with uh, pricing more or less since I wrote my master's thesis, which I did in in auction pricing. Uh, so, how do you actually set the optimal starting price when you uh, when you have an auction? So that's when I started working with pricing, and after that, I spent about five six years in different industries, everything from IT, telecoms to manufacturing, working with different aspects of pricing and um, campaigning and um, business development. But after that, uh, I started working as a consultant, uh, mainly focusing on pricing. So it's been, it was a so- subject I didn't know existed before I sort of started getting into it. And, but uh, I quite like it. The best thing about pricing is that you actually get to sort of mess around with more or less everything in a company. You can have opinions about supply chain, product design, uh, sales tactics, because everything sort of, everything goes into the price. So that's probably why I've enjoyed it for sort of the last 12 years. And now, sort of as Thomas mentioned, I'm working for Verdane, trying to support their portfolio companies to to actually become um, more advanced in in how they work with pricing. So talking about pricing, what different price models are there? I I mean, the main ones, most common ones. Well, if you look at sort of the, the big world outside of sauce, you usually say that it's something you start with cost plus pricing, which is the most basic one. And then you go up to something more akin to competitor pricing or market-based pricing and then eventually the holy grail is is value-based pricing right and i would say that the 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 market-based pricing and value-based pricing are the ones that are most relevant for for a source company because sort of most most companies haven't got that that firm cost sort of variable cost to 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 anchor their first pricing uh, decision on. Mm. So those are the the very sort of generic pricing uh, models there are out there. And then sort of 
when it comes to source, we've seen, okay, you come from something like a perpetual license. That was sort of the way you did business previously. And then we see that the, the mega trend is really that you're moving away from that. And I think most of your listeners probably haven't even started in that corner because, you know, let's not let's not go there. But now everyone is trying to to go to something else rather than their perpetual license. And the first step is usually uh, pricing by user. Mm-hmm. That's that's the most, I would say, probably most common. And it's it's fairly easy for everyone to understand. Yeah, and now we're talking about subscription-based um, like prices. So you pay by month or, or year or something like that. Exactly, exactly. A price per user who, who has access to the platform. Yeah. But then more and more people are seeing that there are drawbacks to that. And then they're moving over to, to trying to, to tie the price a little bit more to usage. Okay. Uh, so... Um, Dropbox is probably a good sort of consumer example where you you pay for the size of the of the box, so that's the usage. But then, sort of the long term aspiration of most companies that that I talk to is to move closer to some sort of ROI or value based uh, pricing, so that you actually charge for the value that you create, not because sort of the usage might actually not be a good metric for for the value that you create and i guess here we have some of the e-commerce vendors that take a, a revenue share i think demand where now salesforce uh, uh, did that quite early and there are some other examples as well yes yes indeed so the revenue share is is probably the the easiest sort of value-based pricing metric uh, you, you you can talk about but it's also the, the downside with that one is that it becomes so obvious how much you're actually paying for them. And so so I would say a, 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 a final version version of that would be to to somehow measure how much more you're getting selling through their platform rather than someone else's and then take a slice of that pie. But then it also becomes a little bit trickier. Okay, and I, I have in my notes here, you mentioned, I think, hedge? A hedge. What the heck is that? Well... There are many different types uh, of hedges, uh, and but in pricing, it might be when you want to try to sort of build some sort of hedges around your price model so that it doesn't go off in a tangent that you haven't really thought about. So that is uh, that is quite common if you have sort of one of your aspects in your product actually drives a lot of costs. So it might be that you have you need to send text messages to uh, customers, uh, and then that actually you have to pay someone to actually uh, send that text message, and then you try to build sort of hedges around your different uh, different price metrics so that one user cannot sort of send a gazillion texts and not having to pay for that. So that's usually that's one type of hedge at least. All right. 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 And I think another uh, type of hedge that we chatted a little bit about is that coming back to what you said about user base. So you can have and say access to the platform is X amount of euros. That's your hedge. And then you add users on top of that that will tickle, trickle extra, so to say. Yes, uh, indeed. But then I think that most most uh, most customers still or most companies still use sort of uh, a you know, a, a fixed amount per user. Right. So it's not that you get the, but it also depends a little bit on what type. You might have different type of users. You have creators, perhaps, that actually use the platform in a different way to uh, uh, 
another type of user who just downloads yeah. uh, data from the platform. Yeah. So then, then you might want to uh, distinguish between those. Speaking about distinguishing things, so how do I go about as a CEO, as, as a revenue leader, like how do I identify what the right model is for my business? Yes, I, I suppose that's really the sort of uh, $100,000 question. And it's it's what I do quite a lot and have those discussions with our companies. And it's always interesting because they are quite fundamental uh, to, to how you run your company. So... Uh, First, you have to sort of decide on on the type of model that you use. So once you have decided on the model, then you can decide on the price level. Right. So looking at the the price model, one of the main component of that is really the pricing metric. So you need to decide: uh, should we use the number of users? Should it be storage? Should it be number of API calls? What actually? What should be the foundation for the diff- for, for the prices that we have, uh, and there are sort of some some rules of thumbs that that you can use to try to find it. It should be aligned with the value that you create. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should also allow you to grow together with a uh, with a customer, and this is usually where you see that that user is quite a, a poor uh, pricing metric because if you have a very nice tool. Uh, the customer might actually eventually need, be able to scale down on the number of users. So then they actually would get a lower bill or a lower subscription fee, uh, but you're actually creating even more value because they, you allow them to cut their costs. So you need to make sure that the, the metric sort of grows uh, with the customer. And that that is probably why sort of the revenue uh, revenue share is such an attractive metric because as your customers grow, you will actually get more and more paid. Yeah, And then it also needs to be measurable and acceptable to the customer. So trying to make it too sort of engineering uh, focused and, and very, um, very complex, then it would be difficult for the customers to, uh, to actually understand what's happening and why, you know, you should never have to explain how uh, how and why they are paying what they are paying. Then then you have a too complex model. Right. I'm, I'm curious, Christopher, in your opinion, can you say anything about if any of these models fit better for certain type of products? If it's like low end, high end, if there's a, a trend you've seen? I think that quite a lot of, of, of companies make perhaps their pricing models a little bit too complex. So, and, and that might fit for uh, enterprise type customers. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say if you're catering to SMB or consumers, then sort of simplicity is key because you really need to, to understand what you're paying for and how much you're going to pay. So, so I don't know if that's a trend, but that's something that we see that, that it might become, because you want to measure everything and you want to you know, give them the opportunity to really tailor make their, their own solution. But, uh, but usually you, you shouldn't need to, to do that. You should be able to sort of have your packages and have a fairly standardized pricing in, in most SMB consumer applications that I've come across. All right. So one thing that is interesting having you on the show here that works with many different companies is what are the most common mistakes companies do when it comes to pricing? 
Uh, actually, it, it has less to do with pricing than what you can, what you sort of think of, but it's actually not knowing the customer is good enough. Okay. So there are so many instances uh, where we actually, before we can start talking about the pricing, we need to to go back and ask ourselves who are our main customers, who are our, what's the best customer, what, what's a good customer, and what's a poor customer. Uh, in our perspective, and actually start by segmenting the customer base. So I think without knowing your customers and what actually drives their behavior, you will not be able to do a good pricing model. Okay. And I think a lot of companies are actually sort of, they have forgotten about that because it's been run by a founder who was so sort of deeply involved in in uh, in their first customers and the product, and and but then they haven't really institutionalized his or hers knowledge, and they haven't really done done a proper customer segmentation. And if you haven't done that good enough, you won't be able to sort of understand what value you create, and then you won't be able to communicate the value. And we see that quite often that if you go into a website uh, of a source company, it's usually a feature dump. Mm-hmm. So you just say, oh, these are all the, all, you know, all the tick marks you will get in this packet. Mm. But very few understand, you know, what does it mean? I'm getting a tick mark there, but not in the in the basic packet. What does that actually mean for me? So, and that's that's because uh, the company then doesn't really understand the value that that feature creates. And many times, perhaps it's it it's not that specific feature that creates the value, but a, a bunch of feature. And then sort of then you should instead than than having that feature dump, you should have the sort of a value creation headline instead around that. So what do you actually get out of this these five or ten features that we have in the in the better packet that we haven't got in the good. Okay. So so uh, my main sort of tip would be for everyone to go out and do customer interviews. Be very curious about how are they actually using the product now and what were they doing before? Or if it's in a sales conversation, what are they actually using now? Uh, because that's really the key. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, in the beginning, when you're a small company, the CEO, the founder team, they might know the market, the customer quite well. But uh, I mean, as you grow, there is a lot of other roles coming in, the CFO, the product marketing team, and uh, uh, different things. So who should actually own the pricing question when you become a, a little bit of a larger company? That is that is quite... Uh, I don't want to call it a contentious question, but it's 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 a contested question because everyone wants to to sort of own it when things are going well. But then, if you're losing business, then no one wants to own right. it. So, <laughs> so I think it it actually needs to be co-owned. Uh, I I don't you know, you should never co-own anything because then it's no <laughs> no one's responsibility. But I think the different functions actually have have their piece of the pricing puzzle to take care about. So the product marketing team, they should be focusing on what should the different packages be, the tiers, what should the list prices be. They should also be driving sort of the the, uh, the customer insights efforts. And then you have the sales department, the commercial team. They should be uh, more concerned about, okay, discounting, and sales tactics, sort of campaigning and, and those sort of things. And then you have the finance team that should really be sort of tracking how well are we performing against the prices that we were aiming to get, uh, how how much discount are we giving away, why aren't 
sort of this customer segment really working as they should. So it really needs to be uh, spread out across the different sort of functions in a company, but then sort of in the and then in the very end, you know, it's it, it should be the CEO who decides if that team cannot sort of agree. So ideally, you should have some sort of price board discussion, quarterly, monthly, where you actually discuss pricing uh, with sort of peers from the different uh, different functions. Yeah, but if you would say the one person that needs to own it, somebody needs to be responsible, who is that person? Then I say the CEO. It depends a little bit on how you're structured. It could also be the sort of chief commercial officer. Mm-hmm. If that person also has a little bit of, of sort of product marketing function under him. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned here that uh, the, the product marketing team should, should have... Uh, be responsible for the list prices and you also touched upon discounts and so on and i want to get back to that in just a moment but how do you actually start with finding the right level how does the the team that is in charge of like what are the measurements to get to the right level from the get-go yes so so uh we said from the beginning first you need to set your model okay how what's the architecture going to be like and then you need to actually fine-tune the level so uh, and and I think that's what you're uh, alluding to, and that's uh, that's when it becomes really tricky because the sort of setting the um, setting the model can be done with PowerPoint in in a boardroom sort of exercise, whereas actually finding the right level uh, is is where you need to start doing a lot of different types of analyses and customer interviews and so on, and it depends. You know which way you can can uh, get to it. It depends a little bit on 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 your maturity. So if you have already sort of been in business for a couple of years, you have a sort of a fair amount of customers, uh, a larger number of transactions, then you can find interesting things in your transactional database. But you can also then sort of base your uh, base your new prices on your old sort of poor poor pricing decisions. So that should that should that should never be sort of the primary source when you're trying to set uh, a new price. Right. So and then if you haven't got that sort of uh, legacy and if you're new to the market, then you need to go out and uh, discuss meet potential customers. You probably have someone who started sort of a piloting test go out and really understand okay, how do they use the product? And uh, especially if they haven't got your product, how would they solve that uh, that issue if they hadn't had your product? And I think that's really the key. And for many sort of SaaS solutions, sort of the other option is an intern with Excel. So which actually carries a cost uh, both for the intern salary, uh, it might be low, but it also sort of carries a cost in that sort of the quality is probably poor. And what does that then mean for the company? So if you have some sort of, let's say, a production planning uh, system, okay, how much lower inventory can your customers um, have on their shelves using your tool compared to the intern plus Excel solution? And then what does that actually uh, mean for their bottom line? So let's say then that you can show in a monetary value, sort of, we're actually saving you this amount. Then you have a firm, uh, a firm foundation for actually starting to have a price discussion. And then 
everyone should be rational and say, okay, uh, I'm happy to pay 99% of that saving to you, uh, Mr. Software Engineer. But but usually it's more closer to 10%. So if you manage to calculate the saving that you create, you should probably be able to charge about 10% of that. But that's sort of a super rough rule of thumb. But what's what's nice about this whole process with sort of becoming much more customer-centric is that you will actually learn so much more and you will be able to use all that information also in your sort of sales collateral. Because then you can actually, you know, write up a case story about, okay, we managed to to uh, to find this and that amount of saving for this customer. And you already have sort of your first, uh, first customer testimony for your website. Am I understanding you correctly, Christopher, here? So um, if uh, I obviously have customers I can use that as, as a reference point or... I have competitors out there. I could use that as a reference point. And then I think also you mentioned here that my internal cost, I need to consider those when I'm building my, my price point and so on. But if I'm new to this space, there's no competition. People haven't bought this type of product before. Then I should go out and essentially ask people, hey, what are you willing to pay for this? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And then there are sort of ways of asking that questions which are better than others. Right. Uh, so, uh, so the, nowadays it's fairly easy to do sort of surveys such as conjoint, which is probably the best uh, the best pricing survey um, there is. That's the one where you actually put sort of a number of alternatives in front of your uh, potential customers and and get them to choose. Right. And using that, you can uh, you can a lot of information for, from that kind of survey methodology. But it's also, it's not as much about sort of how much are you willing to pay, but sort of what would the value be if you were given this product? What would the value, what kind of value would you get out of it in your business? Yeah. And I think the hard thing there is that they might get a similar value from a competitor. Yes. And, and then you will be struggling charging more than the competitor yeah so i think all of these sort of value value based pricing and, and value-based discussions will of course be based on the next best alternative okay and for someone the next best alternative is very very similar a very similar product and then you really need to find okay what things where are we differentiating from our competitors and then you need to sort of drill down into that and okay, how does this differentiator create value uh, for for your customers? Yeah. And if it doesn't, then yeah, then you need to go and and think hard why you are in the business. Uh, unless you can't, unless you can't differentiate yourself from your competitors, then you will never be able to charge more than your competitors. Are you part of a distributed team? Do you struggle your day through scheduled video meetings and chats? Teamico makes virtual work spontaneous. Talk walkie-talkie style, co-work side-by-side with or without video, and bring those coffee chats back. Join our users across 117 countries for free today on teamico.com. That is T-E-E-M-Y-C-O. Teamico, your office online. So you mentioned something before that I think also 
is kind of a hot topic and that is discounts and special deals and so on so what do you say about that is that something we should do as SaaS companies or is that more for you know traditional I don't know car salesman yeah it's actually interesting because discount has uh, quite a neg- negative connotations to it in, in, in for, for many people but they can actually fill quite a good uh, purpose in in the pricing discussion and and sort of one way would be to actually if you're uncertain about sort of what are the customers willing to pay you're new to this space you're bringing a very novel product out there then don't try to sort of come up with a price and put it on your website then you should use the call us function and then you have a high list price but then you can give a lot of discounts mm. because you know you notice by the reaction when you're showing them the price uh, you know whether they find it uh, expensive or not and then you should always be able to then uh, use discounts to actually get to to the point where they find that the price is acceptable and also if you do know a little bit more about sort of your pricing and you have your pricing structure discounts can can still be a very good way of actually maximizing the revenue because if you have a lot of different customers so if your customers are very different from from one another and they use the product differently then their willingness to pay will also uh, differ quite a lot mm. and one way of then sort of being able to charge different price to different customers is by using discounts yeah so you should definitely use it if sort of it aligns with your commercial strategy but also i mean it's important for many companies they are trying to build communities and so on and have a tight contact with the customers and customers are also talking with each other so can't it you know bite you in the but if you give companies different discounts? Yes. And I think that's one of the risks from having sort of not being open with your pricing. But then it's very important that you have sort of your internal arg- argumentation why you are giving uh, uh, different customer discounts. And maybe you shouldn't give the salesperson the same kind of um, kickback when they sell with a discount because it costs the company money. It's easier for them to sell. But it's uh, yeah, it costs more. Yeah, definitely, and I think this is is something that I spoke to a company about just earlier today. That sort of we need to align the sales reps' compensation plan with sort of the behavior we want them to to uh, to use. Yeah. So I think that's uh, that's it's it's a super important point because a lot of at least sort of in the Nordics, it's it's very common that sales reps are just measured on sort of MRR. Right. Yeah. And then it's, and everyone knows that it's so much easier to sell something cheaply than expensive. So, so they have, we have built sort of the incentive model for them so that they are actually encouraged to discount. Yeah. So I think, I, I think that the fundamental step is really try to align the interest uh, and also have KPIs for the sales reps, which might be towards the price quality. How close to the, to the list price are they selling Mm. so another scenario where you might have different prices is when you sell to different markets so uh, you know companies they try to go into the US and uh, the price level is uh, quite different so maybe they just double the prices or maybe 
you know, they go into a new market and they dump the prices. So how should you think about prices in multiple markets? It, again, it, it sort of depends on how, how different customers are and in, in the different markets and sort of, but also how different, how much, how, how large differences there are between the different markets. So uh, I, I think you definitely should try to have different prices in different markets. That should be where you want to go. And then what should the exact price level be in the different markets? I think that is still something that needs to be found out uh, through sort of Salesforce interaction with the, the, the customers. But, uh, but as with the discounting, it's always good to sort of have some sort of framework around why the prices, why you think that the prices should be different. So usually the bigger the market is, the fiercer the competition is, and thus the, the lower the prices should be. So that's usually why you see in the US prices generally being lower uh, than, and, than in, in, in Europe. That's so interesting to, to hear, and, and maybe it has to do only with my own experience, but I think I've heard uh, founders and leaders reason quite the contrary, thinking like, okay, we're going to the US now with our product, massive market for them to take us seriously we need to jack up the prices so the mentality is by default that it should be more maybe that's just my perspective and you haven't seen that uh no actually there's there's this one one story about uh, adobe launching creative suite in australia at a price which was so much more expensive that you could actually afford to buy a plane ticket to go to the US <laughs> and, and, and buy your license in the US and then fly back. And you would still sort of make a profit. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's something to what you're saying that we should have a sort of a, 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 a corporate price level. We need to, we cannot charge 19.95 a month if we're going to be uh, sort of taken seriously. But in that case that, you know, you are talking about is, I think then the price was too low in Europe to start with. Right. So, uh, b because it, it should definitely be that uh, the larger market, m more probably there will be more competition. But it comes back to sort of the next best alternative that we talked about um, previously, sort of when you set your prices, you need to sort of anchor it towards what their options are, uh, the, the customers, what their options are. So I think it, it, uh, it depends a little bit and also sort of the value that you're able to deliver in that country so if for example that you haven't got your your uh, your support organization can only support in in let's say uh, Swedish and English and then you're trying to sell to Belgium where they expect to be able to 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 talk French when they uh, when they speak to the customer service right uh, and then you need to give some sort of discount uh, because otherwise they will never sort of uh, choose you so i think it also it, it depends a little bit on sort of what are your capabilities to deliver in that country slash region perhaps you haven't got that many integration partners if you need to have sort of a partner that that helps you out integrating uh, the solution then uh, then you might need to give a lower price before you have built up that reputation and network in that local market. One important thing, and sort of coming back to what are the most, what are the most common mistakes, it's also that, that you are sort of 
you create your pricing and then you 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 just leave it there for 10 years so i think you definitely should should revisit your your pricing strategy yearly right and then you might say ah now we actually have got uh, we hired someone who speaks french uh, we have done a couple of projects in belgium now we should be able to increase the prices in Belgium because now we have sort of a, a different value proposition to our Belgian customers uh, that we didn't have a year ago. Right. So I think it's it's way too common that people sort of, they come up with a pricing strategy and or the model and the levels, and then they just, they just leave it there. But you should definitely revise it. And also I encourage a lot of our uh, portfolio companies to actually be more active testing much more um, new types of, of pricing models, new types of bundles. So, uh, so actually, to, to keep it to keep it very much alive, the pricing the pricing models. So, which leads me to another question, and that's about public pricing or not. I mean, you could do a lot of experiments, A/B testing, or so, if you have it public. But also, you know. It can be confusing for a customer if they get different prices and so on. So when do you use public pricing and when do you not do it? Uh, I, I think one important aspect sort of in the, in the, in the public pricing or, or, or not uh, space is, okay, what type of customers do you have? So again, this you know, ties back to the importance of doing proper customer research. Because if you know that your customers are very similar, they use your product in similar ways, they more or less extract the same value out of it, then you should be able to have public pricing. Because then everyone should be able to, to happily accept that price because they have uh, they have similar they see similar value from the product. But on the other hand, when you have highly sort of uh, heterogeneous customer base, then you really you're, you're you're quite uncertain what type of customer actually goes to your website and looks at the different uh, kind of options that you have, and then you actually need to get them on the phone uh, to give them a, a proper price and perhaps also to sort of scope the, the 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 correct product. So that is you know usually why you see the sort of good better callers, uh, so that you have a public price on the good and the better option because there you know that yeah we are fairly good at sort of the the, the smaller customers and sort of the medium-sized customers they more or less look the same but sort of when you have the the enterprise customers they are so they, they have such differentiating sort of uh, willingness to pay because they use our product in in so many different ways so that's when you want them to call and and so that's why you usually have sort of that hybrid uh, that hybrid model right right and and speaking about customers one trend that that we've noticed is that customers want to commit for a shorter amount of time than maybe what we were used to just a few years ago so how does that affect pricing when everybody's pushing for shorter commitments or shorter length of contracts? Yes, I, I think sort of the, there are two, uh, two, sort of one tactical aspect to that. And then you should sort of charge more for a, for a shorter uh, for a shorter contract because sort of you carry more of the risk. As the supplier, you are carrying more of the risk. So you should charge. Uh, so if you can offer different lengths 
of the contract, then the shorter term contract should always be more expensive than the long term. Uh, so that's the tactical side of it. But then more on the strategic side, it really depends on where you are in your maturity curve or on the life cycle of that product. Because if you are trying to, again, break into Belgium, you're an unknown Swedish uh, Finnish company uh, moving into Belgium with sort of a product that's not really perhaps uh, fully fledged yet, then you need to uh, you need to probably have a fairly low price. You need to give a lot of the value up front, and you also need to sort of limit the commitment. Right. But then, as the operation sort of grows and you get more and more stable customer relationships, and the product improves, then you should start actually charging more and also debundle. So then you shouldn't give all the uh, value away because then you are more of a of a recognized uh, player in that space. And then you should also be able to to be tougher on the length of the contracts. Right. So it depends on where you are in your product lifecycle and market in uh, sort of market maturity. Right. On on a related topic here when we're speaking about contracts, what is your opinion or slash recommendation about uh, index increases? There's a heavy debate. Should they be in the contract? Should they not be in the contract? Yes. Well, I think anyone who's open sort of the... I, I know where people go for their business news, whether it's break it or financial times but sort of in any publication sort of inflation is all the rage so i you know i heard inflation today is you know heading towards eight percent uh in the us so with that sort of uh, inflationary pressure or at least inflationary expectation i would say it's it's really leaving money on the table not to have some sort of indexation of your prices so because then uh, because it's such a such a leverage in increasing your prices on your profitability because you can also think you, you might not need to sort of uh, increase the price by eight percent but a lot of software companies have quite a low cost cost base so if that low cost base increases by eight percent it's quite a small absolute amount but if you manage to increase your price by 8% as well, you know, that's those 8% are worth so much more than the, the cost increase. So the impact on the bottom line uh, will be huge. So I would definitely, my, my strongest, uh, strongest uh, recommendation is to, to at least have something connected to inflation, because then you will gradually year by year increase your profitability. Uh, and then you should also, um, try to have yearly price uh, price adjustments that you do uh, on your for the customers that you haven't got in a contract yet so your list prices should always be uh, revised as well to cover for inflation but also that you develop your product you add new security features uh, so you should always strive to to increase the price and of course the value of your product lots of opportunities to make more money i hear definitely definitely <laughs> <laughs> well i think this is a topic that interests a lot of people and we will continue talk about this and there is a great opportunity to ask you questions and to dig even deeper into this because we are going to have you in a webinar yes and that's going to be on 
May 13th, lunchtime, Central European time. And uh, I suggest that you all join it if you want to ask Christopher questions. We're going to make sure that we have a lot of time to, to have a Q&A session and everything. And then we can see some cool graphs and uh, illustrations as well to illustrate uh, the different options and, and strategies around this. You're showing the, the magical pricing triangle, right? Yes, I will. I promise. Okay. <laughs> cool. So um, I also want to ask you, is there anyone or any topic that you would like us to cover in the show moving forward? Yes, it's it's fairly close to pricing, uh, but I would love to to hear so much more about it. And that's sort of how do you actually design your optimal packages? So how do you do the product packaging? Okay. So that is really something that I would love to sort of the good, better, best. All right. Uh, I know a little bit about it, but I would really like to hear someone who... It sounds like you want to get back on the show, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to... No, no, I, I want to hear someone who has spent, you know, the last 10 years doing it. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Sounds great. So that's definitely something. Thanks a lot, Christopher. This was uh, amazing. Great to have you here. And uh, we're all looking forward to, to the next episode. And I think a lot of revenue CEOs and, and salespeople, I think the salespeople, the only thing they heard is like, you can use discounts. But I think... <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> For the rest of us this was amazing all right thank you and see you around all right daniel this was a topic up your alley so what was your takeaways from today i mean he made me smile a little bit because I, i've been through a, a few of these pricing exercises over my year and, and i've certainly done my share of mistakes giving too much discounts or uh i have also given probably too much discounts in some scenarios yes thanks for calling it out <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think what what uh, he reminded me of and, and what he emphasizes as well, at least I feel that at a certain point in time, you need to have a dedicated person, team maybe even, depending on how big you are, that owns the pricing question. What I've seen in the organizations that I've been part of, it's been a floating exercise between myself as VP of sales, CFO, CEO, CEO and so on, but with no, no clear ownership. And I think that needs to be changed yeah. and I see some organization are doing that really well that this person is actually owning the exercise not just right here right now for the entire time mm. what about you Thomas I think it was interesting what he said also that he encouraged people to experiment more with the pricing to to have that as an ongoing activity all the time that you can see how you can tweak how you can differentiate the prices uh, so to, to make the most of it and I think often you, you set the sort of here's the the price list for for this year and uh, and so on and then you go with that and of course it, it requires also that you have resources in place exactly as you said and that that you put the time into it so uh, yeah good good learnings I mean it it really is a, a sophisticated topic or question and I think the great thing is that you know everybody goes goes through this exercise and you need to evolve so. Uh, I know that, that uh, there will be pricing experts there at, at the event from Verdane. So if you, if you are keen to pick up this conversation, they will be there that, and willing to share their, their thoughts on this. Absolutely. And if you can't get enough of pricing, well, we have a webinar for you coming up, as we said in the episode as well. So tune into that. Uh, I think it was May 30th, right? 
So um, looking forward to hear your questions during that uh, very much interactive webinar that is coming up in a while. Definitely. And if you fast forwarded in the beginning of the episode, you might have missed that there is an event coming up, CSS 2022. It's going to be uh, an event to remember April 20th to 21st. Be there. It's only eight days left to get your tickets. And uh, I hope to see you there. See you all there.